Broadcasting live high atop the Sunset Strip, deep in the heart of Tinseltown, it's the Eden Rocks Radio Show. Oh, my goodness! And now, your host, Son Edom. In 1973, the Supreme Court ruled that abortion was legal according to the Constitution. Abortion is an issue that people like to see in terms of black and white. It's either right or it's wrong. You are either for it or you're against it. There really is no middle ground. It is a hotly divisive topic that has recently set the political arena on fire with lawmakers in both New York and Virginia offering the most liberal of abortion laws and ideas, including post-birth abortion. Women claim it is their right to do what they want with their body, while others say the baby inside the womb has a right to life as well. Over 42 million abortions were performed globally last year, which have led some to say that abortion is the leading global cause of death. Statistics say that one in four women will have an abortion in their life. One person who was part of the abortion movement worked at Planned Parenthood for a number of years, and then one day a series of events unfolded, and she did a 180 and went from pro-choice to pro-life. Abby Johnson joining us. She's the founder of And Then There Were None Ministries. And, Abby, we've got a movie coming out here at the end of March that we're going to get to, but... um, the first thing I wanted to ask you, if you could share with us a little bit, is that you were at once uh, pro-choice, and then there was a series of events that took place that kind of changed your views towards abortion. Uh, could you share that with us? Sure, yeah. Um, I worked for Planned Parenthood for eight years. Um, I started as a volunteer and ended up uh, running one of their facilities for um, an affiliate in Houston. And... Um, I ended up leaving in 2009. There were several things that had happened. Uh, one was I was uh, being told to double our abortion quota, a certain number of abortions that we had to sell to women who came in. Um, that troubled me because I really did believe Planned Parenthood's talking point that we were trying to keep abortion rare. So this abortion quota and then doubling the abortion quota didn't really make a lot of sense. Um, And then ultimately, though, I left after witnessing a live ultrasound-guided abortion procedure where I saw a 13-week-old baby fight and struggle for his life during the abortion procedure. And I knew then that there was life in the womb, there was humanity in the womb, that I had believed a lie that had been told to me by Planned Parenthood, and I knew if those things were true, then I was on the wrong side of this issue. And so I ended up leaving uh, Planned Parenthood and started speaking out, uh, trying to expose what's taking place inside of these clinics, but also really trying to bring healing to so many who have been touched in some way by abortion. So what, uh, I guess, you know, growing up, abortion isn't really a topic of conversation for a lot of people, especially little girls, boys. You know, you grow up thinking about a family, about children. Um, So at what point did you become uh, pro-abortion in the first place? Well, you know, honestly, when I started volunteering at Planned Parenthood, I didn't really know. I mean, I really didn't know what I thought about abortion. I mean, I was raised pro-life. Uh, my my parents were pro-life, but it wasn't something that we really discussed. My parents were not um, activists in any way, shape, or form. So, you know, I think um, 
I think it was really just sort of listening to their talking points about how abortion would be so dangerous for women if we didn't have access to safe and legal procedures and things like that. And, you know, I really started to sort of justify why abortion was necessary and um, and then really started becoming a, a proponent for abortion. Now, one of the things that I was able to kind of find with some uh, information is that um, some research said that about 99% of abortions are done um, um, elective, meaning that there is no medical reason for one, no health issues for the mother, no health issues for the baby. And some of the top reasons that were given were, um, I can't afford the baby, uh, it's going to interfere with my job, my school, I'm not ready to be a single parent, you know, things like that, um, which I guess are all kind of valid reasons to the person that's going through this. But what would you say to somebody who's kind of thinking along these lines that, you know what, I'm sitting here with a pregnancy and, and I don't know if I can do this because of some of these reasons? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because um, we don't, you know, we hear the term pro-choice and, and really it's such a, that's such a myth. I mean, women do not walk into abortion clinics saying, gosh, I'm so excited to exercise my right to today. Women walk into abortion clinics because they feel like they have no other choice. They feel like they're out of options, out of choices. And, you know, we, we definitely, as, as a movement of people of faith, a, you know, group of pro-lifers, a movement of pro-lifers, we need to know what resources are available to women. We need to help them find whatever it is that they need. We need to know where our local pregnancy centers are. We need to know what family resource centers are available. Um, we need to know, you know, where the local Medicaid office is. How can they get WIC? I mean, all of these types of things that can help these women who are in crisis. Um, you know, we need to try to empower them, and abortion really exploits them at a very weak moment in their life and we as pro-lifers need to be saying to these women you can do this there is support for you and i'm going to help you find what you need there also seems to be a a a kind of an open arms with planned parenthood telling somebody if there's a 16 year old girl that comes in and she's pregnant and you know thoughts are going through her head that her parents gonna be mad at her that she might have to drop out of school friends might be gossiping about her you know her world like you said is kind of collapsing in but then Planned Parenthood comes with open arms and kind of says, hey, everything's going to be okay. Let's just do this. Do you think we also have to change kind of as a culture how we embrace some of those situations and tell these uh, young ladies that, you know, it's okay what you're going through. It's going to be all right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, we we all get into situations that are um, difficult for us to navigate. And, and so, you know, we need to be there for each other. Um, understanding that many times some, you know, these women, they just need an advocate in their life. And, and there are times in all of our lives where we just need someone to say, Hey, you're not alone. You can do this. And, you know, I think that that's really what's needed to sort of help fix the, the crisis in, in this woman's life. Abortion doesn't eliminate the crisis. Whatever she's going through that is causing her to think abortion is her best option, those problems are still going to be there after the abortion. 
So, so we really need to be there to, to help empower her and, and to show her just how strong and amazing she is. Abby Johnson is joining us. And, and Abby, I guess one of the things that um, is kind of hard for people to, to kind of deal with when it comes to this subject is we've talked about kind of some of the issues or the reasons why. But then there's the, the uh, idea of like a rape or a victim that happens to get pregnant because of a crime. And now they're expected to carry the baby to term. And they have a hard time with that. And I, I can understand that people would have a hard time thinking that this would be a, an okay reason to go ahead and, and terminate a pregnancy. How would you respond to a question like that or a scenario like that? Well, I'll tell you, um, we actually adopted a child um, and, and he was conceived in rape. And I look at him and I mean, it's, it's, it's really pretty simple, right? Either the unborn human being is a human being with dignity and humanity or it's not. So there's really no in between. We don't, we don't look at people and say, well, that person's a human being, but this guy's not um, because of this circumstance. No. You're either a human being or you're not. And if you are a human being, uh, then you are deserving of protection and, and rights. And you're, you're born with this, uh, you're created with this innate dignity and worth. And so it's, it's interesting to me that people would say, um, we're going to take the life of a child as punishment for the sins of the father. Um, that's an unfair judgment. That's unjust. And, and so I think it's important for us to, um, you know, learn the stories of those who have been conceived in rape. There's a group called um, Save the One out there, and these are mothers who have conceived in rape and, and um, people who have been conceived in rape. And we need to listen to them. We need to listen to their stories. And we just need to understand that when we start deciding who has value based on how they were conceived um, or the, the way that they, the, the, the quality of life that we assume that they are going to have, we start to play into eugenics. And that's a very, very dangerous road that we really don't want to go down as a society. I guess that would be the same with these new laws that the, the uh, state of New York and you know the governor of Virginia are kind of promoting these late-term, you know, post-birth abortion things. I guess it would be getting into the same thing where you're starting to be selective as to who lives and who doesn't with these late-term abortions. Exactly, and you know, it's it's one thing for me to. I, I can understand, although I disagree, I can understand when someone says, well, you know, if a woman has an abortion at six weeks, okay. I mean, it doesn't look like a baby, not fully formed. I mean, I, I can understand how someone could could justify that in their mind. We're talking about fully formed babies who can live outside of the womb, some who may survive an abortion procedure. We're leaving them to die. Like, I can't even believe that we're, that we're really living in times where people not only support this, but are actively trying to escalate bills and laws and changes in law that would not protect 
fully formed, viable human beings. I, I sometimes was thinking the other day, I thought, this must have been what the slavery abolitionists felt like. They're, they're looking at people and they're saying, these are people. <laughs> these are human beings. How are you not seeing that? And that's sort of how I feel like we are in the pro-life movement right now. Like, how do you not see this is a human being? Um, so, it, it, you know, it can be, it can get very frustrating. Abby Johnson joining us, and then there were none ministries. And um, a lot of times when we hear things in the news and the media and things like that, it's always the good, the good abortion does, the how it's helping women, you know, women's rights and things like that. But on the flip side, there's got to be the negative, the regret, the struggle, uh, the emotional loss that a woman goes through because a part of them, you know, this child is being taken from them, whether voluntarily or, you know, whether influenced uh, by outside forces. But um, but have you seen a lot of that? And, and, and is there uh, I know you said there's uh, resources out there, but is that a hard thing for a woman to bounce back from going through an abortion? You know, the majority of, of studies that you see put out um, by secular research firms show that, you know, 90 to 95 percent of women after an abortion feel relief. And I, and I believe that. I believe that number. I believe, um, because of my own experience, I mean, I've had two abortions myself. I did feel immediately after the abortion procedure relief because I thought, well, here's this huge problem. Now it's gone. And now I can get back to my life. What those studies don't do is they don't follow these women and track results 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years down the road, right? So we don't actually see whether these women at some point in time in their life, after the crisis is sort of gone, after they they feel like, okay, I can get back to normal, we don't see... um, the effects of abortion on women in research studies later on down the road. What we do know to be true is that the emotional ramifications after abortion can be very severe. We know that women who have had abortions are six times more likely to commit suicide. We know that they are more likely to develop eating disorders, that they're more likely to develop clinical PTSD and clinical depression. So we know that those emotional consequences are there. For many, many women who have abortions, not to mention the potential physical side effects for women who have had abortions. I think those are the side effects that a lot of people don't want to dwell on because of of just the negative aspect of it. Um, you've, mm-hmm. you've got this movie coming out unplanned. It's uh, it's coming out the end of March. It's based on events in your life. How did this project come about? Were you approached? I was, yeah. About four years ago, I was approached by uh, Carrie Solomon and Chuck Konzelman. They were the writers and directors of God's Not Dead. They sent me just a really casual email asking me if I had ever considered turning my story into a, a film, a feature film. And I I mean, honestly, no, I'd never thought about that, never considered it. Um, and so we, we started having some conversations, felt like, you know, this was this was something that we should do. And uh, it was, you know, sort of a long process. They started writing the screenplay. Then they got, you know, they, they started um, doing God's Not Dead Part 2 and sort of got sidetracked on that and came back to it, um, came back to, 
to Unplanned and finished writing the screenplay. And um, it's been really it's been really neat to to be a part of that. I'd never been a part of anything like that before. Um, I was I was on set quite a bit during the filming, and uh, it was a really it was a really cool experience and uh, very very weird to watch someone you know playing out your life on on a screen. But um, you know the hope and prayer is that it will be a catalyst for conversion and and dialogue and and just helping people understand really what's happening in abortion clinics and what's happening to the unborn and, and their mothers. I read somewhere that uh, it was filmed under a fictitious name because of the nature of the movie mm-hmm. and to kind of protect the project. Uh, does that mm-hmm. kind of give us a hint as to how impactful this movie might actually become? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, this this film is very raw, is very honest, is tragic. Um, there's There's no over dramatization or uh embellishment or anything like that this is just this is very real and uh it's definitely going to shake things up uh on both sides of of this this debate and um i, I think it really is going to going to be an agent of change in our culture today and the timing is perfect i mean with all of these all of these new laws coming out and, and people talking about this. I mean, this is really going to give people a look um, inside of abortion and, and what's really happening. So is that the, the main objective of the film is to try to get people to change their views or is it just you wanting to tell your story and letting God take care of the rest? I mean, I, I always think that God loves a good conversion story. So I think that, uh, you know, definitely part of of why we're doing this is um, to help facilitate conversion. Um, I hope that it brings a lot of healing. Um, It, you know, sort of opens up uh, healing opportunities for men and women who have been affected by abortion. Um, But, you know, God has done amazing things with this film, even just during filming and, and just in the months that followed. So, um, you know, we know that that his hand is all over this project and um, he's going to do with it what needs to be done. And this is a movie that's going straight from you to the screen. It's not like you wrote a book and they're basing off a book. So they're coming straight from you in creating this movie. Is that right? No, I wrote a book. Oh, you did? Unplanned. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I wrote a book called Unplanned. Um and so a lot of it comes from the book. Um, a lot of it comes from uh, additional information that I've told them that wasn't in the book. So it's not going to be just directly from the book. There's going to be, you know, some other material um, that's in there that, that is, you know, people will not have heard before. So the movie's coming out at the end of March, and so if people uh, don't want to necessarily wait that long to see the movie, they could, in fact, go get the book, read the book, and then when they go see the movie, there'd be additional information and and additional things in the movie that's not in the book. So it'd be kind of like uh, an addition, too. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, you should always read the book before (laughs) before you watch the movie. So, um, so yeah, I encourage people to, to get the book, read the book. Um, and then go see the movie. It's you know, there's just something very powerful about seeing things that you read in a visual form. 
um, on a screen. And so even for those, you know, even for people who have read the book that have seen screeners of the film, um, they've been very, very moved and very touched by it. And as we wrap it up, uh, the actors that have portrayed the different people, including yourself in the film, how has this movie impacted them? Have you had any response or feedback? Well, every every person that was involved in this film um, was pro-life. That was a, that was a non-negotiable uh, from the beginning. That was the first question that they asked in casting and um, getting crew involved. So everybody was 100% pro-life when they came on this project. Um, but we've just seen God um, use this film to touch people, their friends and, and their family and, and people in their circle of influence. So, um, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's, it's really going to shake things up. And, um, but the actors and, and actresses are just really committed to this cause and, and really committed to truth. The movie is called Unplanned. It's coming out uh, at the end of March. It's going to be released in uh, a new number of theaters across the country. Uh, the book Unplanned, I suppose you can get at your usual stops, Barnes & Noble, things like that. Um, anything else you'd like to share before we uh, let you go here? If people want more information about the film, they can go to unplannedfilm.com. And the release date is March 29th, so we'd love to have you help us pack the theaters that weekend. Abby Johnson, and then there were None Ministries, also the author of Unplanned and the subject of the movie Unplanned that's coming out on March 29th. Abby, thank you so much. We appreciate your time, and we wish you all the best as you move forward here. Thank you very much. Abby Johnson, the founder of Then There Were None Ministries. She is the author of the book Unplanned and the person who the upcoming movie Unplanned is based on. Unplanned coming to theaters on March 29th. Up next, we have a testimony from Gianna Jensen who is not only a survivor of a botched abortion that left her with cerebral palsy, she is a marathon runner, a singer, speaker, and she shares her testimony of survival, forgiveness, and how God is using her. Here is Gianna Jessen. I'm adopted, and my biological mother was 17, and so was my biological father. She was seven and a half months pregnant when she decided to go to Planned Parenthood which is the largest abortion provider in the world, and they counseled her to have a late-term saline abortion, which is a saline salt solution that is injected into the mother's womb. The baby gulps that solution, it burns the baby inside and out, and then she is to deliver a dead baby within 24 hours. And to everyone's great shock and surprise, uh, I didn't arrive dead but alive on April the 6th, 1977 in a Los Angeles County abortion clinic. What's fantastic about this, about the perfect timing of my arrival, is that the abortionist was not on duty yet. So he wasn't even given the opportunity to continue on with his plan for my life, which was death. And I know that I'm in a government building, and a beautiful one it is, and I love your country as well as my own. But I know in the age that we live in, it is not at all politically correct to say the name of Jesus Christ in places like this. To, to bring him into these sorts of meetings because his name can make people so terribly uncomfortable. 
But I didn't survive so I could make everyone comfortable. I survived so I could stir things up a bit. And I have a great time doing it. And so I was delivered alive, as I've already said, after 18 hours. I should be blind, I should be burned, I should be dead. And yet I'm not. You know what is fantastic vindication is the fact that the abortionist had to sign my birth certificate. <laughs> so I know who he is. And it also says, for any skeptic listening on my medical records, born during saline abortion. Ha! They didn't win. I've done some research on the man that performed the abortion on me. And his clinics are the largest chain of clinics in the United States of America, and they gross 70 million dollars a year. I read him say, I read a quote from him at some point uh, several years ago and he said, I have aborted over a million babies and I consider it my passion. I tell you these things because listen ladies and gentlemen, we are in an interesting battle whether we realize it or not, in this world. It is a battle between life and death. What side are you on? So a nurse called an ambulance and had me transferred to a hospital, which is absolutely miraculous. Generally, the practice at the time, and up until 2002, was, in, in my country, was to end the life of an abortion survivor by strangulation, suffocation, leaving the baby there to die, or throwing the baby away. But in, on August the 5th, 2002, my extraordinary President Bush signed into law the Born Alive Infants Protection Act to prevent that from occurring anymore. You see, we're playing for, for keeps. We're playing for, I mean, I'm hoping to be hated by the time that I die so that I can feel God about me and understand what it was to be hated. I mean, he was hated. Christ was hated. And not that I look forward to being hated, but I know along my journey, I know I'm already hated because I declare life. I say, you didn't get me. The silent Holocaust didn't win over me. And my mission, ladies and gentlemen, many uh, among many things is this. To infuse humanity into a debate that we have just compartmentalized and set on a shelf and said it is an issue. We have removed our emotions. We are becoming harder. Do you really want that? How much are you willing to take and how much are you willing to risk to 
to speak the truth in love and graciousness and stand up and at least be willing to be hated? Or at the end of the day, is it all about you? Or me? And so, after that I was placed in an emergency foster care home where they decided they didn't like me very well and as I'm fond of saying, I don't know how you could not adore me right from the start. What is wrong with these people? But they didn't. You see, I've been hated since conception. by so many, and loved by so many more, but most especially by God. I'm his girl. You don't mess with God's girl. I got a sign on my forehead that says, you better be nice to me because my father runs the world. <laughs> so after I was placed in the mean home, I was taken out of the mean home and placed into another home, a beautiful home, Penny's home, and she, she said by this time I was 17 months old, 32 pounds of dead weight, and diagnosed with what I consider to be the gift of cerebral palsy, which was caused directly by the lack of oxygen to my brain while I was trying to survive. Now I am just compelled to say this. If abortion is merely about women's rights, ladies and gentlemen, then what were mine? There was not a radical feminist standing up and yelling about how my rights were being violated that day. In fact, my life was being snuffed out in the name of women's rights. And ladies and gentlemen, I would not have cerebral palsy had I not survived all of this. So when I hear the appalling, disgusting argument that we should have abortions because the child just might be disabled, oh, the horror that fills my heart. Ladies and gentlemen, there are things that you will only be able to learn by the weakest among us. And when you snuff them out, you are the one that loses. The Lord looks after them, but you are the one that will suffer forever. And what arrogance, what absolute arrogance, and it has been an argument for so long in this human place that we live that the stronger should dominate the weaker, should determine who lives or dies. The arrogance of that, don't you realize that you cannot make your own heart beat? Don't you realize that all the power that you think you possess, you really possess none of it. It is the mercy of God that sustains you, even when you hate him. So they looked at my dear Penny and they said, Gianna will never be anything which is always encouraging. And she decided to ignore them, and she worked with me three times a day, and I began to hold up my head, and I said, well, Gianna will never this and never that. Long story shorter, 
I was walking by the age of three and a half with a walker and leg braces. And I stand up here today with a mild little limp and without a walker and leg braces. I fall gracefully sometimes and very ungracefully at other times, depending on the situation. But I consider it all for the glory of God. You see, ladies and gentlemen, I am weaker than most of you. But this is my sermon. And what a small price to pay to be able to blaze through the world as I do and offer hope. And I think in our misunderstanding of the way things work, we, we misunderstand how beautiful suffering can be. I don't willingly sign up for it, but when it comes, we forget. We forget that God is in control and God has a way of making the most miserable thing beautiful. I have met my biological mother. I have forgiven my biological mother. I am a Christian. She's a very broken woman. She came to an event I was having two years ago, showed up unannounced and said, hello, I'm your mother. And it was a very difficult day. And yet while I, while I was enduring all of this, You'll probably think I'm silly, but I was sitting there and I was thinking, I don't belong to you. I belong to Christ. I'm his girl and I'm a princess. So no matter what you say in all your anger and brokenness and rage, it's not mine to keep. It's not mine to carry and I won't. I was saying all this inside. So ladies and gentlemen, you have an opportunity. But for just a brief moment, I would like to speak directly to the men in this room and do something that is never done. Men, you are made for greatness. You are made to stand up and be men. You are made to defend women and children not stand by and turn your head when you know murder is occurring and do nothing about it. You are not made to use women and leave us alone. You are made to be kind and great and gracious and strong and stand for something. Because men, listen to me. I am too tired to do your job. Women, you are not made for abuse. You are not made to sit and, and not know your worth and your value. You are made to be fought for forever. So now is your moment. What sort of people are you going to be? I trust incredible. I trust, men, you will, you will rise to the occasion. To the politicians listening, particularly to the men, I would say this, you are made for greatness, set your politics aside. 
You are made to defend what is right and good? This fiery young girl will stand here and say, Now's your moment. What sort of man do you want to be? A man obsessed with your own glory? Or a man obsessed with the glory of God? It's time to take a stand, Victoria. This is your hour. God will assist you. God will be with you. You have the opportunity to glorify and honor God in 2008. I'll just end with this. Some of you might be slightly annoyed that all I keep doing is talking about God and Jesus. But how on earth can I walk about limping through this world and not give all my heart and mind and soul and strength to the Christ who gave me life? So if you think I'm a fool, it's just another jewel in my crown. My whole intent in living here is to make God smile. I hope some of this made sense. It just came from my heart. God bless and keep you. Unfolding today, a miracle play, this The father he sighs, she opens her eyes, the baby boy is born. We don't understand, he's not like we planned, the doctor shakes his head. Abnormal they cry, and so they Side. This child is better dead I bear the blame Believers are few And what am I to do? I share the shame The cradles below and where is baby down? A hearing is sought, the lawyers are bought, the court won't let him eat. The papers applaud. When judges play God, this child is getting weak. They're drawing a bead, reciting their creed. Respect a woman's choice. I've heard that before, how can you ignore this baby has a voice? I bet.
Stop. 